0: Insights, interviews, and best practices by clinicians for clinicians. Welcome to GE Healthcare's Clinical View Podcasts. Hello, I am Dr. Nicola Cosentino, and welcome to this podcast series on COVID 19 and ECG sponsored by GE Healthcare. Today's topic will be on what to look at in the ECG of COVID-19 patients and which patients with COVID-19 should be continuously monitored. So we know that SARS-CoV-2 infection may cause acute macardial injury and this injury may be associated in turn with ECG alterations. And many ECG alterations and many kinds of arrhythmias have been described in COVID-19 patients. Yet. There are some ECG patterns that must be closely monitored and, if detected, identify very high-risk COVID-19 patients. And why is that? Because these ECG acute changes mainly reflect the ongoing left ventricular ischemia, stiffness, and or right ventricular distension, dysfunction. So what are the alterations that are most closely associated with a worse prognosis? The following alterations are those that are most closely associated with a worse prognosis in terms of in-hospital mortality and need of invasive mechanical ventilations. And these alterations are the novel T-wave inversion, especially if involving several leads, or new ST-segment devi- deviation more than 0.5 mm, or new intraventricular conduction delay, such as left bundle branch block or new right bundle branch block, or QRS complex prolongation more than 25% from baseline. Another alteration closely associated with the worst prognosis is QT correction interval more or equal than 500 milliseconds, or any acute increase of more or equal than 60 milliseconds or more or equal than 25% from baseline. And the final alteration is de novo right bundle branch block and right-axis deviation suggesting acute pulmonary embolism. So these ones were the alterations, the ECG alterations most closely associated with the worst prognosis. On the other hand, all types of arrhythmias have been observed in hospitalized COVID-19 patients, and again, there are some that are most strongly associated with an ominous clinical outcome. And these arrhythmias are the novo atrial fibrillation with rapid ventricular rate, new atrioventricular block. Those side the points. And finally, sinus tachycardia with new left bundle branch block. Regardless of the underlying arrhythmic disorder, faster heart rates are always associated with a more complicated in-hospital clinical course by mirroring the hemodynamic and respiratory impairment occurring in COVID-19 patients. Therefore, a 12-lead ECG should be performed in all these patients' admission and at day three and seven of hospitalization and before discharge. So ECG should be performed at these time points in all COVID-19 patients. Moreover, ECG should be performed anytime there is an increase in troponin and or brain natriuretic peptide secreting level or if the patient experiences chest pain or dyspnea in order to exclude the presence of acute ECG ischemic alterations. So these ones were the ECG features to look at. But due to the high risk of serious arrhythmias, potentially life-threatening, there are some COVID-19 patients that need to be continuously monitored by the ECG with the aim to rapidly detect any complex arrhythmias and to identify early any progressive clinical deterioration. So which COVID-19 patients should be continuously monitored? For sure, patients admitted to the intensive care unit need to be continuously monitored. For those not admitted to the ICU, continuous CCG monitoring for at least 48 hours and if, po- and if possible for 72 hours should be reserved for hospitalized patients with preexisting cardiovascular disease or for patients having elevation in cardiac biomarkers that is troponin and or brain natriuretic peptide or for patients with the novel ECG changes, especially if there is the novel white queries complex or the novel diffuse T wave inversion or the novel prolonged QT correct interval. And finally, for those patients with the severe COVID-19 disease, in particular if dyspnea, tachypnea, and hypoxia persist after 17 days of symptoms onset despite treatment. Yet there are still some subsets of COVID-19 patients who should be continuously monitored despite not meeting the prior criteria. And who are those? Well, patients with bradycardia, with significant bradycardia, heart rate less or equal than 40 beats per minute, or with tachycardia, heart rate more or equal than 120 beats per minute, or patients with ventricular arrhythmia, such as patients with at least six ventricular ectropic peaks per minute or with non-sustained ventricular tachycardia or sustained ventricular tachycardia and or sustained supraventricular arrhythmia. Or patients with the novel left ventricular dysfunction, such as those with left ventricular ejection fracture less than 50%, especially if the novel left ventricular dysfunction is less than 40%, and or patients with the novel right ventricular distensional dysfunction or patients with altered mental status, or those with severe electrolyte abnormality, or in patients in whom chest CT scan shows more than 30-40% of lung involvement. But there are two additional electrocardiographic issues that deserve attention in COVID-19 patients. Indeed, one critical issue in COVID-19 patients is represented but the QT correct prolongation, as it can lead to polymorphic ventricular tachycardia, torsade points. So patients with a baseline QT correction interval more or equal than 500 milliseconds, or more or equal than 550 milliseconds, if bundle branch block or a pacing is present, well, these patients are those at high risk of developing torsade points or sudden death. And briefly. The following steps are required to reduce the risk of drug induced tocetic points. First, identify non modifiable risk factors associated with QT correct prolongation, which are congenital long QT correct syndrome, QT correct prolongation of known QT prolonging drugs, female sex, age more than 65 years, structural heart disease, renal impairment, and liver impairment. Second, Identify and correct modifiable risk factors in all patients. So modifiable risk factors can be corrected. So correct low calcium levels, correct low potassium levels, low magnesium levels, stop non-necessary concomitant use of QT-correct prolonging medications, and importantly, avoid bradycardia. So the concomitant use of beta blockers, calcium channel blockers, ivabradine, digoxin, should be evaluated daily. Perform Third point, perform a baseline ECG 12 lead or single strip, depending on resource availability, before initiating any therapy. Finally, perform ECG once on treatment, after one day if no risk factors are present, and after four hours of treatment if risk factors are prolonged to correct are known. And then what should we do? Well, if the patient has a QT-correct more or equal than 500 milliseconds, or shows an increase in QT-correct interval more or equal than 60 milliseconds, or more or equal than 25% from baseline, well, switching to a drug with lower risk of QT-correct prolongation, or reduction or, or reduction of the administered dose, or continuing treatment plan are the options to consider. And in any case, Close surveillance of the QT-correct interval, preferably including telemetry for arrhythmia monitoring and electrolyte balance, are Mm. mandatory in these patients. The last point is the Brugada syndrome. Indeed, Brugada syndrome may represent an important issue in COVID-19 patients, and the main concern is fever-triggered malignant ventricular arrhythmia. Indeed, COVID-19 induced fever may uncover the type 1 brugada pattern and lead to symptomatic brugada syndrome in previously unsuspected cases. Therefore, in non-COVID-19 patients with brugada syndrome, fever should be aggressively treated with paracetamol. And continuous CCG monitoring should be considered if antipyretic therapy is ineffective and the temperature remains more than 38.5 Celsius degrees in higher risk Brugada syndrome patients. And who are high risk Brugada syndrome patients? Well, those with sodium channel mutation carrier, those less than 26 years of age, those with more than 70 years of age, and those with spontaneous and a known fever induced type 1 ECG pattern. So, in conclusion, 12-lead ECG and continuous ECG monitoring are critical aspects in the treatment of COVID-19 patients, as they may help to early identify very high-risk patients who may deserve a close follow-up and a more intensive therapeutic strategy. And I do really believe that what we have learned during COVID-19 on the clinical benefit derived from ECG and continuous ECG monitoring may be actually translated to most acute illness and should be really a lesson to keep always with us when we face critical patients. Thank you for listening to this podcast on what to look at when ECG monitoring is implemented in COVID-19 patients. The next podcast of this series will be on ECG monitoring in non-CADEC areas. Thank you for listening to Clinical View Podcasts, brought to you by GE Healthcare. Expand your view at clinicalview.gehealthcare.com.